What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My friends, I am Vivian McPeak, and this is Hemp Present. If you have feedback and would like to suggest a guest or topic for Hemp Present, email me at hempresent at gmail.com. David Fenton is the chairman and founder of Fenton Communications, created in 1982 to promote issue-oriented public relations campaigns focusing on the environment, public health, and human rights. Since founding the company, he pioneered the use of professional PR and advertising techniques by nonprofit public interest groups in the United States and around the world. David has worked at Rolling Stone and High Times magazines. He was co-producer of the star-studded No Nukes concerts in 1979, and he's been involved in almost major every major progressive justice movement of the last 50 years, including ending apartheid in South Africa and the current struggle to combat climate change. His new book, The Activist Media Handbook, discusses how to organize social media campaigns. And in addition to the powerful information contained within, it's a historical treasure of photos and graphics. I have the Robin Hood of public relations, David Fenton, with me today to tell us more. Welcome, David, to Cannabis Radio. Hi, great to be here. Thank you. Uh, the, the subtitle of your new book, The Activist Media Handbook, is Lessons from 50 Years as a Progressive Agitator. Take us back a half century or so. How did you become involved in public relations? Was there a specific time or event when you knew that communications and PR would be your calling? Well, really, I'm an activist. And, you know, I got involved in public relations uh, from an activist perspective. And all the PR I've ever done is activist PR. But the way it all started is I was uh, growing up in New York City in the 1960s. And I uh, was pretty good at taking photographs. So I started photographing leaders of the counterculture and the anti-war movement of the time. People like Abby Hoffman and Paul Krasner and Jerry Rubin and uh, also members of the Black Panthers and the various uh, SDS uh, weathermen and other organizers. And I, I, I started learning a great deal from them. 
and I started getting my photos published and I earned enough money to drop out of high school and become a photographer full time and went to work at the news service at the time for all the hippie underground countercultural anti-war newspapers, which of course was called Liberation News Service. So that's really how I got started. When I was 12 years old, I actually sold the, the LA Free Press for a little while on Hollywood uh -huh. Boulevard. Um, I have a growing library of 1960s counterculture and more modern progressive political books. And your new work is already one of my favorites. It's it's up there with my autographed copy of Steal This Book. Oh, great. Who, who's your target audience in writing the activist media handbook and who might benefit the most from reading it? Well, it's it's meant to be a bunch of fun stories. Uh, you know, it is a memoir, uh, of, but it is also meant to synthesize uh, lessons for ag activists and how to do effective communications. And, you know, we're in the 60s. The, the movement was really good at communications and mass communications. And we even had the culture on our side and so much of the music, et cetera. And today I would say progressives are not as good as we were at communications and mass persuasion and the right is better at it than they used to be. Um, so I'd like to see this reverse because if we're going to save the world and have a better world, we have to get the public on our side and activate it. And if we don't work to persuade them effectively, then they're not going to be a sufficient counterforce to the right. Along those lines, David, Donald Trump has infected American politics in very dangerous ways. It, it, it seems that while Trump appears to have a very juvenile mind, he's somewhat of a populist savant. He creates a simple message, then he repeats it over and over. Can the left and maybe more importantly, the Democrats who are good at governing but kind of terrible at messaging learn anything from gasp Donald Trump's approach? Yes, a lot. You know, when you say make America great again, everybody in our world hates that, but that works. And the linguists and the cognitive scientists have proven that it is the repetition of simple messages that changes the brain and thereby changes public relation, public opinion. And Trump understands this intuitively and deeply. You know, the linguist will tell you that over your lifetime, as you're exposed to language, it creates literal mental circuits in your brain, which the linguist called frames. So when you say something like make America great again, you're activating this existing mental circuitry that's very powerful. You know, when the left says things like net zero or cis normative, you're not activating any existing frames and people don't know what the heck you're talking about. So they, they can't relate, right? It doesn't, exactly. it doesn't connect with them in a place that, that they can relate to. Yeah, you know, now Bernie Sanders was pretty good from the left and explaining to people uh, how their wealth had been transferred to the top 10th of 1%, which is actually what happened. But in general, the, you know, the Democrats are bad at this. And, you know, I trace in my book, why is this? Why is the right often better at it? And you know what what I what I come up with comes from the great linguist George Lakoff at Berkeley, and he says, "Look, you know, people progressives come largely from the sciences, the law, and the humanities, and they're taught 
that uh, great ideas basically sell themselves, what Lakoff calls the enlightenment fallacy. And progressives don't like selling. That's dirty and manipulative in their view. Now, on the other hand, the people on the right go to business school and they have to master selling in order to advance their careers. They have to sell products and services. So they study marketing and cognitive science and they learn how the brain really works. So this is a terrible mismatch and we need to get better at it. I'm sure we can. That's part of why I wrote this book. It seems to me that Black Lives Matter is a slogan that says exactly what it means and that any reasonable person would agree with. It was so powerful that it fomented historic protest against racialized police brutality. But then defund the police came along and, in my opinion, kind of hemorrhaged a lot of the advancements that BLM made. Your thoughts on that? Yes, I agree with you completely. And the data supports this, you know, uh, something like uh, 85% of the public after those protests supported reforming the police, but only 17% of the public supports defund the police. I mean, back to framing. So when you say defund the police, what the brain hears is you don't want any police to protect me. That is not a winning argument. <laughs> that helped Republicans gain seats in the House of Representatives. And it, the irony is, of course, the activists didn't even really mean defund the police. They meant shift some of the money for the police to mental health professionals. And in that, of course, they're exactly right. But the slogan negated their effectiveness. I completely agree with you. We've got a little over two minutes till the, the first break. Humanity is sleepwalking through an existential threat unlike anything that has ever occurred. Recent data indicates that greenhouse gas emissions from oil and gas facilities around the world are about, about three times higher than the producers actually claim. And we're on track to reach a catastrophic 2.8 Celsius of warming by the end of this century. 125 billionaires emit as much CO2 as the country of France, and they have a disproportionate degree of control over policy and public narrative, yet it seems like many more people are focused on Kim Kardashian's ass or the price of Taylor Swift tickets. Can we, com can we combat climate change without a global popular movement that demands it? And if we can't, how do we get to that global popular movement? Well, I don't know if you can answer that in two minutes, except to say, <laughs> yes, everything you said is true. This is why I sold my firm, Fenton, uh, to work on climate change full time, because it's the most important issue humanity faces. And if we don't solve it, we won't get to solve much else. And we, we have a limited amount of time in which to solve it. But yes, a mass movement is the only way to solve it, because that's the only thing we have to counter the corruption of the fossil fuel industry, the oil, coal, and gas industry on our politicians. And I am convinced absolutely, and the data shows, that we can explain this to people and raise their level of knowledge and urgency and help show them what they can do about it. There's no question. But unfortunately, the environmental groups don't focus on mass persuasion and communications. They focus predominantly on policy and science. And I'm hoping that changes because we have tons of policy ideas and we know the science. What we lack is demand for change. We need to create that. So they're kind of making the same mistake the Democrats tend to make. Yes, and it's the same community. Again, people from the humanities, the law, and the sciences who think great ideas magically work. They have uh, what I maybe a little sarcastically called the telepathic theory of communications that because <laughs> we know something by some incredible magic, everybody finds out about it. And that's not how the world works. 
We're going to go to a quick break. I'm talking to David Fenton. Don't go anywhere. I'm going to come back with the second segment. Time to roll out for the people that let us have present. Hang loose. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. We're coming right back. And we are back with David Fenton, the author of the Activist Media Handbook. Uh, David, I've spent 35 years working on cannabis policy reform, 28 of those as director of the world's largest annual cannabis reform event, Seattle Hemp Fest. Uh, America still has 400, or excuse me, 40,000 people in prison over cannabis. A few dozen Americans are serving life sentences for weed. But when reform activists attempt to organize or fundraise these days, what we hear incessantly is, why? Isn't it legal? because many Americans can go to a brick and mortar store and buy some weed. What tips might you have for the drug policy reform movement in regard to waking people up to the fact that we need to finish the job? Yeah, that's a really important point. You know, people react to stories and stories about individuals more than statistics. So if you say to people, there are 40,000 people in prison for cannabis, and what a crime that is. I didn't know it was that many. How outrageous. Uh, people react less to that than to, here's this person who was ripped away from their life and children uh, for uh, doing something that is now perfectly legal and never should have been illegal. And I think that campaigns to make heroes <clears throat> out of individuals who have compelling stories who are serving these sentences would go a long way. And I don't see anything like that happening. But it, you know, this, this has to be brought down to the level of emotion and morality rather than statistics. Yeah, you know, I, I so identify with what you just said, because I've long been telling our folks that we need to humanize, uh, you know, prohibition was was done, was was marketed by dehumanizing people, they're druggies, they're criminals. Um, and and you've got to take them, those layers off like the layers of an onion. And it's by telling the stories of people that that you, you're able to rehumanize the victims of prohibition. Do you agree? Yes, very much. And of, of course, as you well know, you know, a lot of the origin of the drug laws in the United States was racism. You know, Harry Anslinger, who ran uh, the precursor to the DEA, he very consciously used racist tropes that cannabis was you know, making, you know, these uh, dark skinned people rape your daughters and, uh, you know, and, and 
disproportionately, you know, so many of the people that are in prison for cannabis you know, are victims of this racism. And I think that's another thing that we really should use, that these are racist drug laws, and this really has to be reversed. And plus, there's equal protection under the law and the Constitution. How does it make sense that if someone's in jail for something that I can, uh, right here in Berkeley, California, uh, you know, uh, go online and get delivered to me? This is completely nuts. Yeah, I mean, I had George Martirano on my show who served 30 years of his life sentence for cannabis. Oh. Um, and yet you can murder someone and get seven years. Uh, it's just it's mind boggling. And I should note that this is all happening right now. While one of Donald Trump's recent applause lines at rallies is his desire to execute drug dealers after a brief trial, uh, quote, because it works so good in China. Uh, you know, I mean, just, this is insanity that we're dealing with. And, and on that note, uh, David. Uh, prohibition was marketed to Americans with just outright lies, right? And you, you, you know, starting with Anne Slinger and Hearst and the yellow journalism and all that stuff. And, and today, the right wing lies and gaslights relentlessly, uh, you know, incessantly. They have Fox News, One American Network, several hundred Spanish speaking right wing radio talk shows. And now it appears they've got Twitter. Pop prohibition was totally based on lies. And now, you know, American politics is based on lies on the right. How do we combat outright lies while sticking to the truth? How do you do that? Okay, so you have to stick to the truth because it's the only ethical and moral thing to do. And because if you don't, it generally will backfire. And it's just plain old the right thing to do. And there's no reason not to. The truth is very powerful. Uh, but this is part of why I wrote my book, because we have to get smart in this era of disinformation about how to simplify and make sticky and attractive our messages and to ensure that they get out there and that they're repeated sufficiently to have an impact. But there's other things that we need politicians to do to rein in the disinformation that we face. And I go into some of what we can do in my book. You know, I'm a big First Amendment devotee, but you can't be an absolutist about anything. I mean, for example, you know, before 1984, it was illegal. It was illegal to turn your radio station or television station or network over to only one political party. It was illegal to turn it over to only one candidate. It was illegal to only express one point of view about an important public issue. We had these rules called the Fairness and Equal Time Doctrines that the FCC enforced. Actually, they were self-reinforcing largely because in order for someone to have a broadcast license, they had to adhere to these rules or risk losing it. So everybody adhered to them. Now, Reagan repealed these, and that's how we got Rush Limbaugh and all this. And now we need to bring these rules back and apply them to cable and the internet. And there are legal ways to do that. And we it will take some time, but we must rein in the disinformation. Something that we could do quickly would be to make the social media platforms liable, 
not for what individuals post. That's okay. Individual posts are not the problem, although certain kinds of hate speech should not be allowed. The problem is what the algorithms boost to millions of people, the most salacious, controversial, false, reptilian content. And they do it to make money. They do it to keep you on their platform to sell advertising. And they need to be liable for that. And if they were, they would clean up their act in a hurry. Well, you know, I'm, I'm just a few years younger than you are. But when we were young, when we were children, there was basically three networks. And that's where all the information came from. And when the Internet came along, <clears throat> excuse me, I was really excited because I thought, wow, now this is going to give everyone a voice. And I come to learn that maybe everybody doesn't deserve a voice. Um, but this is what we have. Uh, can your book help us all just our regular folks, you know? in creating more effective talking points as we discuss politics in the water cooler wars or online? Yes, I think so. I hope so. I mean, it's not anything individuals can really do without joining up with others. That's how social movements happen. But I do distill basic principles that I've learned in the front of my book into 12 pretty easy to follow principles. And I think they would be useful. But I think you know, to, to rein in this disinformation, we have to set up some rules. You know, you, you have rules in sports, you have rules in marketplaces. And right now, the, the internet uh, and cable TV have no rules whatsoever. And when you have no rules, people steal and lie. So we have to reinstitute some basic broad uh, rules of fairness and it's to protect speech so that speech doesn't get crowded out by one side we got about a minute till the, the next break but you know it it seems to me that for the first time in my recollection the left is kind of not embracing free speech in the same ways that it traditionally did with maybe wanting to rather than arguing your point uh, more strongly or more forcefully or more clearly, wanting to kind of uh, prevent the opposite side from having speech. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yes, I think that the 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 overwokeism i mean it's good to be awake but you know excess anything is a bad idea there's too much intolerance on the left and there's too much attempt to suppress other points of view and to say that you know you're too sensitive to hear another point of view you know that's all ridiculous on the other hand we do need to rein in the falsehood about climate about covid you know about other things so people aren't wrong about that but we have to have a diversity of voices or, you know, we will end up like China. I'm speaking to David Fenton. We're going to take another break. We're going to roach this segment and come back with a fatty uh, final segment. So don't go anywhere. Time to roll out for the people that let us hemp present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. We're back on him present with David Fenton. Uh, David, I've been reading your book. It's just, you know, first of all, it's, it's a very easy read, um, but of course you master in communication. So that's not a big surprise, um, but it's just, you know, the history is so rich. You've been in the middle of everything and you were in the, you were, you know, immersed in the cannabis reform movement as well um, and cannabis media. And you worked at high times. Tell us a little bit about your, your history with cannabis. Sure. Well, I've been getting high pretty much every night since I was 15 years old and I'm 70. I think I took a year off once. So it certainly works for me. Uh, and uh, in the early 1970s, 
I helped run a campaign to get someone named John Sinclair out of prison in Michigan. He had been sentenced to 10 years for handing two roaches to an undercover agent. And his case became a big cause celebrate in the counterculture. And uh, we got uh, John Lennon and Yoko Ono and Stevie Wonder to play a big benefit concert for him in 1971, which uh, was kind of the biggest thing that had ever happened in Michigan because the Beatles had just broken up. And lo and behold, after doing this uh, 12-hour concert with them where uh, in an arena in Ann Arbor where people were breaking out pounds of cannabis and smoking them right in front of the police all night long, uh, the next working day, the Michigan Supreme Court reversed itself because of the pressure and released Sinclair and overturned the state's marijuana laws as unconstitutional for classifying it as a narcotic, like our idiotic federal laws still amazingly do. So uh, we very quickly realized that marijuana was legal. There was no state law. So we called a press conference and smoked joints openly in front of the television camera saying, there's no state law, you can get high. So the legislature, of course, acted very quickly and passed a new, more constitutional law. So the next thing we did in Ann Arbor is we started a third political party in 1972. We won control of the Ann Arbor City Council. And our first act was to make the sale and possession of cannabis both a $5 parking ticket. And basically, we got the Ann Arbor police out of the business of harassing us. And uh, we were happy to pay back the marijuana dealers who had financed the campaign. So then uh, to celebrate, we did a contest for our uh, local newspaper, the Ann Arbor Sun, our, our countercultural newspaper. And the grand prize in this contest was a pound of Colombian pot which I personally delivered to the winner, who was a freshman, a woman at the University of Michigan living in a dormitory, and she had never gotten high in her life. <laughs> and I show up at her door with a pound, right, which, you know, is not a little thing. And uh, she was kind of surprised, uh, but pleased. And we put a brown paper bag over her head and took her picture and put it on the cover under the headline, the winner so yeah we uh, we had a lot of fun we helped start the hash bash in ann arbor uh, we also it's not widely remembered we got the first statewide initiative to completely legalize cannabis on the ballot in michigan in 1974 the michigan marijuana initiative we lost but we did get it on the ballot and one other thing that we did back then uh, that was kind of controversial is we started running the photographs of undercover narcotics officers in our newspaper under the headline, Know Your Enemy. And we were very careful. We would only run the pictures of cops busting people for reefer, not hard drugs. So the narcs were kind of upset that we were running their photos, as you can imagine. And they assaulted one of our photographers. We sued him. He countersued us for intentional infliction of emotional harm, and he won. And the jury was going to bankrupt us. So I called the ACLU, and, and they took the case and went all the way to the Federal Court of Appeals, and it reaffirmed our right under the First Amendment to publish their photos. And that's part of the case law by which you can use your phones today to videotape cops on the street. Wow, that's that's a great history. John Sinclair has been on this show. Uh, he actually slept in my bed when he came to him. I wasn't there. I was sleeping on site. 
um, but he came to Hempfest too, and what a great uh, a great icon he is. Um, but you're up there too, David, and uh, we've got about two minutes left in the show. I could talk to you for an hour, but we're running out of time. Uh, what, what final thoughts would you have uh, to leave us with? And is there anybody on the left that's doing it right these days, do you think, that we should be watching who's a great communicator? Well, first of all, to finish on the cannabis thing, I do have a proposal in my book. And I, I <laughs> people think it's a joke, but I really mean it. I think we should build a monument to the people who risk themselves bringing cannabis into the country in the dark, dangerous days to keep us all high and creative. We owe them a lot of thanks. Mm -hmm. And no one ever talks about this. But I really, you know, I knew some of those people. And you know, they would drive their pickup trucks with campers down to Mexico to pick up pot. And can you imagine what they went through braving the police in places like Texas and Oklahoma? I mean, those people did us an enormous public service. And I know a lot of people might find that a very controversial statement, but, you know, thank goodness that they helped us out. So that would be my proposal. And as for <laughs> who on the left is doing a good job of this, um, you know, Al Franken's really great. He's a great communicator. You know, it's mm -hmm. too bad he he felt forced to resign. But if you listen to his podcast, he really knows how to talk about issues. I think Bernie Sanders is still a great communicator. Mm -hmm. You know, I wish he wouldn't call himself a socialist. That's activating mental frames that are negative. But he certainly does explain to people what's happening. And this is why, you know, not a few Republicans were ready to vote for him in you know working class America. Uh, there are others and as you said the black lives matter movement you know that was amazing how that changed public attitudes so quickly so there certainly is you know there's there's certainly reason for hope but we have to get smarter about this david fenton thank you so much for being on him present man my pleasure that concludes this installment of him present on cannabis radio when it comes to prohibition you've got the right not to remain silent Activism requires a voice, so find your voice and speak up for justice because resistance is fertile. The Hempresent intro music is Seven Mile Beach by Joanne Rand, and the outro music is Take Back the Plant by Stickerbush. Stay strong. Marijuana! The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.